Welcome to the next episode of Cannabis Review. I'm delighted to be joined this episode by Brian Gerber, who's the co-founder of Hemper and Hara Brands over in America. How are you keeping today, Brian? Great. Thanks for having me on. Delighted to have you on. Do you maybe want to give everybody a quick little overview of how you ended up getting into the industry and your position in the two companies at the moment? Yes. So I'm the CEO of Hara Brands and Hara Supply. Hara Brands is a consumer products distribution company. We develop our own products in-house and then we distribute it to uh, smoke shops, dispensaries, C-stores, so on and so forth. And then Har Supply is our pre-roll manufacturing arm where we support a ton of the large rolling paper brands, a lot of the big vanity cannabis companies, and we produce about 100 million cones a month and combustibles alike for the cannabis industry as well. Okay, very interesting. You started your company pretty early. Do you maybe want to give us a little backstory of how the company was founded, the other co-founders in the company, and your uh, success pretty much from the start at the origins of the company? Of course. So we incorporated in February of 2015. We launched May 1st, 2015. Originally, it was a direct-to-consumer subscription box called the Hemper Box. And then that morphed into different products. And then what we did was we leveraged the subscription box as kind of our Trojan horse marketing outlet. So we would develop products, put it in the subscription box, get feedback from thousands of consumers overnight, take that data, and then go to our distribution and retail partners, show them the feedback, and then sell them the products to put on the shelves. So uh, in terms of the kind of almost decade I've been on this journey, that was like the first four years of the business. And then uh, midway through 2017, we got this interesting opportunity to start producing pre-rolled cones and kind of fast forward today, we're now at 14 or 15 manufacturing sites, 4,000 employees in India, and we produce about a hundred million cones a month for the market. And so those are the two divisions of Hemper uh, and Hara in its nutshell. Yeah, it's an incredible success story. You even guys have some uh, well-known investors kind of gave you the first investment. It seems to be money well spent on their side of things. When it comes to the pre-roll side of the product category within cannabis, was this a, a segment that you saw the annual growth rate was going to be significant? Did you notice that the technology was either available in North America or in Asia at a specific price point that made this market seem like a sensible thing to go after? So I think if we follow uh, tobacco trends, right? Cigarettes are an enormous market, uh, you know, billions and billions and billions, if not quite trillions a year in sales uh, in terms of sticks, right? And so with the pre-roll segment, the problem was there was no real infrastructure set up for anyone to really scale their pre-roll line. And as every company in the cannabis industry is trying to figure out what their coca-cola beverages on the shelf right they needed real infrastructure so for for example brands like steezy you know they go from they launch a product in one market they want to launch in three next month right there's no one who can really help them and so we came in and really designed our business as a solutions partner for the pre-roll category and what we do is we identify products and innovation and what the brands and MSOs and whoever it is wants to bring to market, we tell them what's capable in terms of material science, glass, ceramic, paper, whatever it is. 
and we guide them in terms of how many of these can we make, what's the scalability of this SKU before we even go to producing things. And so I think that infrastructure was missing or lacking from the industry because, you know, a lot of things in this market are reused or repurposed or whatnot. And really, there wasn't that infrastructure set up to scale any type of product line in the pre-roll category. So we've come in within four or five years have garnered over 30% of the market share just from being a flexible, you know, under promise over deliver partner for everyone. And it seems to be the business practices that you guys have brought to this sector, I think has seemed to me to be one of the differentiating factors that the cannabis industry has such a low barrier to entry for an entrepreneur to get in. So those with real business acumen who spot the opportunity are, are obviously going to excel, excel within their individual sectors. Totally. And, you know, we started this company when we were 23 years old and we raised a few million bucks when we were 25 years old. And now we're turning 33 in a couple months. So it's been a wild journey trying to navigate this industry. And it's funny, none of the co-founders, uh, RJ, Henry, and Ty, we've never worked for anyone else in our lives. Straight out of college, straight into this, never had a boss and just hustled our way through, you know? No, that's the way to do it. Take each project and move on to the next bigger and better one after each individual is successfully completed. Yes. No. And I think our differentiation of like our capabilities for the partners, you know, sometimes, you know, they always say, I always look at like a lot of startup culture stuff. And they're like, two's the best. And then if once you get three founders, it gets a little messy. And then four, oh, nobody wants a four co-founder team. Surprisingly in this industry with all the different nuances, it worked out. Yeah, well, I think good corporate structure and everybody having a specific discipline that they master, I think, is how you build these proper companies that have substantial growth trajectories and, and long-term longevity. When it comes to the technology side of your pre-roll manufacturing, do you guys acquire technology and have it in-house or do you license it out to an outsourced manufacturer who produce based on orders? And of those, which of the states in America do you think is the best for pre-roll sales? And is Florida, do you think, going to surpass whoever the best currently is when it gets legalization? Totally. So I believe for our market, California is the biggest right the second. Uh, Florida is definitely a great market. I like the way they set it up. I think it will be a uh, big hub there for major companies and brands to flourish and develop out of there, especially with the MSOs kind of being headquartered there, a lot of them. Uh, I think for the brands and products they're still lacking in terms of what is possible to bring to the market and so we're helping guiding everyone exactly like what's feasible because a lot of people come to us after multiple conversations and they go wait you can put a logo on the paper and it's like we're just printing on paper nothing <laughs> crazy there this is not science in terms of automation and technology Every cone, most cones, if not 99% of cones in the market are hand rolled. So you need a labor arbitrage. We've brought in semi-automatic equipment. We've have multiple hedges on automation. No one's really figured it out, right? There's no, there's no, you know, kill shot at this point or poison pill, right? Where it's what, what's happening is a lot of different folks out there are developing technology and it's, they're, the problem is it, it takes a lot of money to develop this because the fragile nature with the paper, right? If you're working with cigarette paper, 
18, 20, 25 GSM, the thickness of the paper, it's much easier to automate that because of the tensile strengths, right? With RYO paper, it's like 12, 13, 14 GSM. So when you run it through an automated machine, it can tear, rip very easily. It's sensitive and fragile. So no one's really figured it out yet. We obviously have been, you know, we're at the forefront of it, but it's still kind of an unknown thing right now. And do you think that automation technology is going to come along within the next couple of years and somebody will have proprietary technology who will be the large scale manufacturer on a, on a global scale? Possibly. I think there's a strategy to where these machines are placed. Uh, you know, I think that with lead times and shipping, I think everyone's moving to vendor managed inventory in this industry. They're, they have a lot of difficulty forecasting, figuring out how much product to bring in, all those different metrics that are typical in you know normal CPG. We can't seem to figure it out in this industry, right? And so everyone's moving to vendor managed inventory, just in time inventory. They don't have the space to keep pallets and pallets of cones. They don't want to keep pallets and pallets of cones. They just want it to ship to every state, you know, state site, whatever it is, whenever they need it, right? So yeah. I think that it's not going to just be one company or one machine that becomes the big all that, you know, 12,000 pound gorilla. I think it's going to be a lot of like strategic relationships built along U.S. domestically for North America, Europe, Asia as well. So I think there's a hub, you know, multiple yeah. hubs. Logistically placed manufacturing hubs that allow for a quicker delivery as opposed to a larger scale manufacturing operation. Correct. When it comes to the future of the industry, are you positive on this rescheduling to Schedule 3? And if so, do you think it's a positive thing or a negative thing? I think it's positive for my business because I'm non-plant touching. I think that it could potentially be threatening or alarming or negative towards people who have been in the space, who are in the medical side, who are in the rec side. I think they like the barriers because it's harder to operate, right? And so if you make it easier to operate, more people will come in, but who are these people? Are they good actors? Are they bad actors? Who knows, right? And so I think for the ancillary people, it's great news. For the plant touching people, yes, maybe they get more leniency on banking laws and all those types of things, and they can do something with their cash. But in terms of competition coming in, it's going to open up the floodgates for big tobacco, big pharma, even though they're already in it, even more so, right? Yeah, it would seem the most advantageous thing of Schedule 3 will be the ability to create applied pharmaceutical ingredients with these cannabinoids and your own blends and formulations to target A, yeah. B, C, and D. And uh, the capital uh, required to play in that field is is pretty small. Yes, for sure. Is there anything you guys have planned when it comes to Europe uh, for your operation? Do you think that the German market is going to be a player? Totally. Uh, so we were just at Intratobac in Germany a few uh, months ago, back in September. We are coming into Europe with the hard brand side uh, pretty strong. We're working through a bunch of strategic relationships right now with distributors. It's obviously very fragmented because you've got 29 countries, you've got the UK, you've got 29 different languages, you've got 29 different personnel, you know, it's every country is different, right? 
So we are coming in very humble, asking for advice, meeting with certain partners in different regions. We have conversations going on with, um, you know, Spain, Barcelona, right? Uh, we've got France, uh, we've got Italy, we've got Germany, we've got the Netherlands, which is obviously massive. Uh, and so what we're really doing is identifying, you know, who are the right partners? Because in Europe, there's more customer profiles than we have in the States. So here in the States, we have convenience stores, smoke shops, and dispensaries that sell these products, right? In Europe, you have souvenir shops, you got coffee shops slash social clubs, you've got tobacconist stores, you've got CBD shops, you've got grow slash seed stores, you've got actual smoke shops, and then you've got like smart product shops. So there's more customer profiles in Europe than we have here. And each distributor in Europe specializes in a different channel. So unfortunately, it's not just a plug and play. It's more of like in understanding the market, understanding who the right partners are, where are they strong, which customer profile. Because if I bet on one, I'm missing the other six profiles. If I bet on two, I'm you know missing on four. So we're navigating it, I think, a little bit smarter than what normally people would walk into. They'd ship a bunch of product to Europe, get a 3PL, and say, we have product available, buy product. That doesn't work in Europe, right? When you're talking about the euro versus the dollar, just as we think, we don't even think about 10, 20, 30, $40 anymore here in the States, right? Maybe even a hundred. We don't start thinking probably till about 50, 60, 70, a hundred dollars. In the Europe, $10, you're thinking the same level, 10 euros, you're thinking the same level as me at a hundred, right? For me to convince you to buy something for $10, you're going to go home later and see if you can buy it online for nine. It's just a different mentality. So we're coming in, trying to be a very humble approach understanding the culture, working with the distributors and the partners and making sure it's a successful launch, not just a run and gun approach. And with Germany, it's massive, the opportunity, right? And so we're super excited to be at uh, Mary Jane Berlin uh, in a few months in June. We'll be at Spanibus in Barcelona here in three weeks. Uh, and then we're just going to do the show run there. And so, yes, we will be launching very heavily in Europe. You guys have a very exciting future outlined in front of you, and I'm no doubt Europe will be smoking some of your cones over the next couple of years. Uh, I know you're very busy for, for now. Anybody who hasn't checked out Har Harrow Browns before, the website is below, and you'll be able to find it wherever you watch or listen to this. But for now, Brian, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for having me on. Not at all. Till next episode, everybody.